Kobe's second free throw good. He has 60. The Lakers lead by three. Here we go. Utah needs a three to tie it. Hayward driving down the middle all the way to the rim. Lay it up. No good. Rebound grab. Kobe's got it. Length of the court pass to Clarkson. Clarkson at the rim. Slam dunk. Game in the refrigerator. And the Lakers are going to win on Kobe's last night. He's going to score 60. And I don't believe what I just saw. And I don't think anybody did. Uh, Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, George Sedano, Ramona Shelburne. There were a lot of things that happened over the course of Kobe's career that were just like those kinds. I don't believe that. Oh, yeah. I don't believe what I just saw. That moment was pure Kobe in so many ways in the theater and the accomplishment and this ability to do something unexpected, all of it. So I was in Bristol doing getting ready to do Mike and Mike the next morning. And it was the Warriors were also on at the exact same time. Yeah. One game was on ESPN. They were going for 73. The other yeah. one was on ESPN, too. And I ditched the Warriors and just started watching Kobe because it was just so wild to watch him go. At a certain point, I was flipping back and forth. I was in a hotel room, and I was going every commercial break. I'd flip to the, one into the other, right? And then at about, like, just past halftime, I'm like, I'm just focusing on Kobe. Like, he's going nuts. Like, this is this is where I need to be. And, uh, yeah, it was incredible to watch. George, do you know how mad Kobe was that we did not put his last game on ESPN? ESPN and he was on ESPN, <laughs> on too. ESPN yeah. too. Yeah. He was so mad. I bet. Oh, man. I remember talking to him about that. And, like, the, you know, I, I've we've all kind of been going through the ringer of um, – grief and mourning and all this the last the last 24 hours but i guess i'm in a place right now where i just want to talk about that guy man because like that last game you guys is the most audacious thing i have ever seen this guy scored 60 points on 50 that's, shots that's yeah. the part that has always stood shots. out to me yeah. if you had if you had asked oh me before God. that game what is more likely to happen kobe puts up 60 Points, yeah. Or Kobe puts up fifty shots. I right, said the fifty. 60, sh- 50 I would shots. Say, no, 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 no. I said sixty points. More oh, likely, really? Yeah. Because because it's his last game. You know he's. You know that he's going to get some referee love, yeah. right? And you know that he's going to take a lot of threes, yeah. And in this game, he actually took twenty one of them. But Kobe, we saw <laughs> twenty one. Well, the, the analytics told him to take yeah, right. Exactly, right. they did. This is Kobe being that. part of the modern okay, game. So yes. it was like. I remember talking to, like, all of his teammates were there, right? So this was, you know, Robert Ory, Shaq, Horace Grant, Lamar Odom, Rick Fox, everybody, Sasha. And I remember Horace Grant was like, it would have taken me four weeks to get 50 <laughs> shots. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I, yes. I'm not being facetious when I say this, because I, I said this in the moment. I did not think Kobe was, at the time, Physically yeah. capable no, of putting up fifty shots. I don't think, right. like, I think fi- he was absolutely fifty shots is exhausting. Do you think he thought he could no. put up fifty? He had shots? never taken fifty no. shots in a game before that ever. I don't. I don't <laughs> like remember even now. like double, triple overtime games. And, he and, had never taken this. fifty points in a game. Kobe, fifty shots. Ever. His entire career, the knock on Kobe was selfish, took too many shots, 
And in his last game, he just said YOLO. YOLO. Yeah. But also, too, like. He just went and took every damn shot. And his teammates, like, forced him to. Mm -hmm. There was a came at point in that second half. Because remember, if you remember this game correctly, he sucked at the beginning of the game. Yeah, it wasn't like, he good. came out and we were all like. Hence the flipping back yeah, and forth between ESPN and ESPN was, too. The anticipation was like really building. I was texting him all day and I was like, I'm going to make you cry. I'm going to be Roy Firestone. You are going to, you are going to cry. And he, he I think he like, he, he had fun. He was like, nope, I, I'm at the office. I'm chilling. I'm fine. Like, I'm like, and he, I, I forget what he said. It was so funny. It was something like, it was like an emoji and it was like, I am, I, you know, you will not make me cry or I'm the anti-crying mamba or snakes, you know, whatever it was. But like, he, he was so focused on, this is just another game. This is just, it happens to be the last one. I'm just going to do this. And I was like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. And then he went out and sucked. And I was like, okay, this moment is pretty darn big for him. He's probably choking back the tears. He's feeling the nostalgia. Every bit of him that said, I can compartmentalize whatever the hell I'm feeling was not working, right? And then he actually does it. Right. So we get towards halftime. He starts making a few shots. It was like, fine. It was going to be respectable. Now, like, okay, thank God the last game is not going to be like an offer. And in the second half, he just gets it going. Yeah. And do you remember that momentum? Like, the as the game's winding down... And we're all watching. Like there was no time to be nostalgic or sad. We were like, "Oh my God, he might get forty! Oh my God, he's gonna get fifty! Yeah! Oh my God, he's gonna get sixty! Yeah! Like it just kept going like that at the end, and and then it was over, and he dropped the mic, and he was like, "Mamba out!" And we were like, "Whoa, what just happened? <laughs> like <laughs> that was the most Kobe thing ever." I uh, <laughs> yesterday I did the game with Hubie Brown. Yeah, Hubie did that game. Oh man, with Tariko. Yeah. And he showed me the picture yesterday oh, man. of him and Tariko and Lisa Salters, uh -huh. who all did the game, like after the game, yeah. taking a big group picture and how Kobe gave him, Kobe gave him, I don't remember, I think he said a jersey, a signed jersey, he gave him something, but it was just like, yeah, just seeing that picture yesterday when all this stuff was going on, right? Like, it was just yeah. amazing just to, and, to and, see. And, like, that part of it's important, like, because it wasn't like he was, you know, and walked away. Like, he sat, he stayed and he talked to, Everyone, he you know, talked to media and he said, th you yeah. know, thank people. And he really had did. really he helped engagements. He truly people. helped court for the last time at oh, Staples. Center. There's no doubt. But he did that at every every place, according to what I heard, because yeah. Alvin Gentry was telling us like we did like when we first met with him, he was distraught. Obviously, he talked to us yeah. about Lonzo and Brandon and those guys uh, and Josh, right? Like just them consoling them. But then when we we do and Ramona, you know, this we yeah. do these coaches meetings off camera with these guys and. Eventually, Alvin got into telling fun stories about yeah. Kobe, and he said that his last game in New Orleans, and he's like, you know, he has no real ties to New Orleans. He's like, he, after the game, after he was done with his media, he stayed for two hours and signed everything and took pictures with everyone, ushers, police officers, people who work in the concessions, whoever it was, he stayed for two we, hours uh, in New Orleans. We cannot mention, by the way, Alvin Gentry without pointing out that moment in the playoffs, I believe it was 2010, against the Suns, right. where Kobe makes that shot and slaps Alvin Gentry on the ass yeah, yeah. as he's walking yeah. by. He yep. makes yeah. that, I mean, nobody else would do that. Yeah. yeah. Nobody would do I that. I mean, this guy, like, okay, I'm going to have, you're going to have to bleep me, yeah. all right? But I was talking to Gotham Chopper yesterday. He's uh, the one who did the documentary. Right. Okay. You know, like Kobe did 
a whole documentary with Gotham Chopper where everybody else talked about Kobe and Kobe goes, nah, I'm going to tear that one up. And I just want to tell my own story. So oh, there's all these interviews with Phil Jackson, Shaq, Jeannie Buzz, Magic. Every, no one's ever seen that documentary except for Gotham Chopper and Kobe. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then Gotham makes another movie with Kobe where he's the narrator, he's the storyteller. And that's what you saw in Showtime called Muse. Um, and, but in that first one, which I'm dying to see now, oh my God, I want to watch this. Gotham's exercise was give me three words when I say Kobe Bryant, what are your three words? And people would say things like relentless, ruthless, competitor, fire, you know, whatever it is. And Steve Nash <laughs> goes for MF. A. <laughs> like, and he said it just like that. Yeah. You should believe technically three words. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That is three words. Excellent and point. Gotham goes back to Kobe and said, do you know what Steve Nash said about you? And Kobe's like, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, more from George, more from Ramona. Uh, we'll, we'll bring you in. Also, we're going to replay, correct, uh, Kobe's final game tonight. Awesome. Uh, I believe that's coming up after Mason in Ireland, so at 6.30. So uh, more stories like that next. So at 6 o'clock, we'll replay the uh, the Kobe's final game. Yep, we have it on audio, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and if you're not near a radio, there's uh, it's on ESPN television, too. They're going to replay it there. Excellent. 710 ESPN. This sounds crazy, but... Kobe spoke this. He spoke this. He used to say all the time, I want to die young. And really? I thought he was cra- He used to say, I want to die young. I want to be immortalized. And, you know, I want to have my career be better than Michael Jordan, and I want to die young. And I just thought he was just so crazy for saying that. And when I got the news yesterday, I had a dance with my daughter yesterday at my wife's event. And they came and told me the news, and I just couldn't believe it. Just like, just like everybody else, but it's—I'm devastated. That's uh, Tracy McGrady on the jump, and George, you have something that you know that you could add to that. Yeah, I mean, I've heard from different guys and people over the years that Kobe did have that kind of thought process, right? Like he was obsessed with uh, the Greek god Achilles, right? Who died young right like i think that you know you talked about one of the greatest warriors right in all of greek mythology and i think that there is a you know something to that you know what i mean it's uh, go ahead Andy. i i always had sensed and this was something that i always wanted to ask kobe about and i never really got a chance to because uh, over the last couple years of his career he either was in, in the trainer's room and not out in front of us or there'd be so many people around him it was difficult to have this type of conversation but I had always gotten a sense before the Achilles tear that just changed the math on everything that Kobe would have wanted to leave the game a little early with a little bit still potentially left on the table, then hang around a little bit too long and let people ultimately see him in the vulnerable place that we did because the Achilles left him no choice. And at that point, he wanted to show that he could do this. He wanted that, that challenge. Its own challenge. Right. And yeah. to conquer it. But I, I had always felt before that Kobe would be that rare athlete that would be willing to leave the game a little bit too early because that would guarantee that he would leave on his own terms. So in sort of a, a micro sense, his career might die a little young. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is wild, you know, and, and I could see that the have a short life, large impact, right? Like that is something if you, the, you, the more you talk to people who were around him, like Tracy McGrady, the more and more you hear that stuff coming to light now. 
And, you know, nobody wants to believe that that's, and of course, like none of this is, you know, foretelling. It's, not, it's also not literally right. like that he would trade time with his right. family and all these other right. things. But it just so happened that, you know, it's something he discussed openly and was okay, you know, in his head, if that was indeed the case, you know, which is kind of wild. It's one of these things where you look at, the the sort of the totality of this life that he lived and you really can divide it into into these two chapters and you know like andy you talk about like the career dying young or whatever might have happened if if this kills there's this whole other thing that i think you can now repeat the the same process with and that i think you know i, I wrote about this today you know that that's this this is to me is what's so sad beyond the, you know the the loss of life and you know all these other things that we've talked about and, and that you just naturally gravitate to mm-hmm. There was this other life of Kobe, like 30 years from now, where he was going to be. Well, Bill Plasky wrote this, right? Yeah, he was going to be gray and, and but, you but know, this guy standing that ovations. My kids, my kids, kids, whatever. They, oh, that's the guy who wrote the books that I read when I was right. a kid. Or that's the guy who made the movie that I like. Or there was this whole other place where Kobe oh, was yeah. going. to, And that, to me, is where I feel the greatest personally, the greatest sense of loss, because. The memories that he made for everybody on the basketball court, the the times that we spent in the locker room, that's that that stays. Right. It's the other stuff that I feel like I don't get to the see. The stuff you miss out on because that second chapter of his life was certainly something he was as focused on as far as his work ethic was concerned as he was when he was a basketball player. And you know, you talk to people who were doing projects with him there are so many projects that were in the pipeline and that were already started that you wonder like how much of that will get done still and and how much of that will get done because we want it to get done or how much of it will get done because those particular people still have the ability to be able to create and finish that particular content. 877710ESPN is the number as we we, we remember the the life and the career of of Kobe Bryant. Let's go to John and Camarillo. John, go yeah, ahead. Hi. Yes, hi. Um, I have a, just a quick story um, that's meaningful for my wife and I. Um, about thir- um, our 13th anniversary, the day before, she tells me that Kobe's having his book signing over at the Grove in Hollywood. We get up that morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and we drive there. We get there about 5, long line coming from the front of the Grove all the way out to the street of third street and my wife and i look at each other and we go we just see that this is going to be a long day we look at each other and we basically go we're going to do this once and we're going to do it just because it's kobe bryant we're in line to get passes from 6 a.m to 2 2 p.m is when we get our pass only to have to come back at five to get back in line and Kobe's signing was from 7 to 9. Not, we're in line. We're actually in the building at about 9 o'clock. They say Kobe's leaving. Moaning, groaning. We're kind of sad. He actually gets on the PA and actually says, for everybody in the building, I'm going to stay to see all of you. We didn't see him until about 1030. There were still some people behind us. And pretty much that was a full day to see Kobe for a brief minute, but it's cherishable and just the idea that we did that. And I 
I'm grateful that I John, did it because I lose the opportunity of not seeing him again. And John, thank you so much for that call. And I, Kobe Bryant, more than most stars, more than most people in his position, I think. And I think LeBron James understood understands this as well. Understood the value to people, Andy, of of what it meant to meet him, of what it meant to be in his space. Even for a minute, and what a gesture, a handshake, whatever, whatever it might be, Kobe understood that deeply, and it's one of the things I respected. Well, about I think he also understood it in part because he played such an active role in creating the mythology in the first place. Like the the reasons that you would want to be in Kobe's presence to see him live, to experience that, he understood it because he told you exactly what it was. He told you in a lot of ways why you would want to be in his presence. And then he backed it up right, time and time again. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he had an aura of him, I mean, at a very young age. I remember covering games, you know, I wasn't here, but I'm saying I covered the league, so sure. I would be at games. And you could just tell right away that he was someone that you were, that was going to be memorable. Frank Isola, so, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of tell this story because we had, we taped around the horn today. And around the horn, uh, we did a special Kobe show it was all kobe one topic no points just people telling stories and um frank isola um told the story that he was at kobe's first game he saw kobe's first free throw that it was a first points were free throws and he says that del harris turned around to them and said i also saw his dad's first points too and he's like, that always sticks with him. And he's like, right away, like you could just tell the way he carried himself, even after that first game, that first time scoring points and the first game he played, like that, this, he was like, this guy, he, he's, he's different. Like you could just tell immediately. And, you know, the, the, the way he came into the league and just the, the swagger, like, the, you know, as a 17 year old guy, the assumptions that he made oh, about yeah. what his place was going to be in this league were just tremendous and and, and could, could didn't care about yes. some of the shortcomings right the air balls against utah like that stuff didn't phase him not one no, bit. He, he was somebody that was just willing to touch the sun I wanna, he I was wanna, willing to dare do that right. in his career that is a perfect way to describe it right? i want to i want to talk more about that um, next we'll also take some more of your calls sedano sitting in with us brian kamenetsky andy kamenetsky 710 espn Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, George Sedano uh, here at 710 ESPN as we remember Kobe Bryant and celebrate the life and career of Kobe Bryant. Joining us right now, um, a man who spent a lot of time with Kobe, around Kobe, writing about Kobe as a story up today at The Undefeated at ESPN, uh, chronicling the career and life of Kobe Bryant. Mark Spears joins us right now. Mark, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Hey, man. Uh Wish, wish we had a better subject, brother. I'm still stunned. I'm still trying to process it all. I'm still, you know, still trying to figure this out. When when you sat down to write, um, there's so many there's so many places to start. So many touch points that you could use uh, to 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 write on an, an about somebody like Kobe. Wh- where did you want to start? What did you want to communicate? Well, I. I don't really like writing about myself, but I instantly felt like I had to to kind of like just tell the story of what it was like to like know him personally and what he meant to me. Um, look, we we meet a lot of athletes, and 
it's inevitable at some point that you gain relationships with some people that are different with others. You know, I remember Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard once telling me, if you're, you know, waiting for a, a hug from an NBA player, you're, you're wasting your time. <laughs> and But with him, it was just different. Like, um, this is a superstar who I got time with who actually seemed to care about me as a person, which was like, Stunning that not only that he cared, but somebody of that level cared. And uh, so um, when he left, I always would tell people when they asked me about him, I was like, you know, I miss him. There's nobody like him. There'll never be anybody like him. And, I, and I'm not even just like talking about on the floor. I mean, he's the most competitive player I've been. I've seen in person um, Michael Jordan, um, Kevin Garnett. Um, Gary Payton, John Stock, you know, all of them included, watching them in 21 years of covering the NBA. Definitely the most competitive and five championships and all that, but just, he was just so different than anybody I've ever met. I mean, he was thinking about life after basketball while he was in his prime, um, learning different languages, just to like knowing all the, uh, different national writers' names, knowing all the local beat writers' names and knowing the importance of, you know, having a relationship um, probably, and I'm, you know, shut me up if I'm rambling on, there's a kid who's a junior at Taft High School whose dad I played with at, at Foothill College up in the Bay. His name's Cameron McCoy. Um, when Cameron was seven years old, his dad took him to a, a preseason game in Ontario and for his birthday, and he brought two buddies. And them two little boys just starting to learn the game of basketball were yelling and screaming like no other. So Allison Bogley, the PR lady you all know, she she was impressed by it. And she heard it was Cameron's birthday, so she gave him post-game pass. Kobe, unbeknownst to a lot of people, used to always get a scouting report on people he would meet after games who were always the people of different levels of importance or a kid or something. But that sounds, I didn't right. know that. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds believable. So Kobe comes out and he goes, where's Cameron at? Where's Cameron at? <laughs> and, and the little boy sheepishly puts his hand up. He goes up to Cameron, hugs him, takes a picture with his, his two other buddies, and, and tell, asks him how he's doing in school and tells him what he needs to do if he wants to be a great basketball player. And, like, why does he do that? That's just him. That's just who he was. That's uh, just those little mo- – that that might have been two minutes for him. That's a lifetime for Cameron. And so I was blessed to be able to see some of the behind-the-scenes moments with him. Um, and, and I'll never forget him. We're talking with Mark Spears, covers all things NBA for ESPN and the Undefeated. He's got a piece up at the Undefeated uh, chronicling the career and life of Kobe Bryant. When you were talking, Mark, before just about the different ways that made Kobe singular and unique, like in personality and interest, things like that, where are the places where you see that influence in the players that looked up to him, the generation that followed? Um, you, you see it. I don't I don't know that be, I don't know that we see it in competitive nature. I don't know that they have that. <laughs> he, he wasn't trying to be nobody's friend during the game. Now after the game, yeah, he'd give you advice and talk to you, but he, he was trying to destroy you. He was trying to win. He had, he had a will to win 
like no other. So I don't know that they today's player, with all due respect, and I'm not saying everybody. I mean, obviously LeBron and you know the elite players are on a different level, but he just wanted it badly, man. He was he was everybody like when he walked onto the floor, it was just there was just a, a aura of him of, that that only Michael Jordan had. You were intimidated when he walked on the floor. People came to games even when they sucked because they knew he could do something. 81. That team wasn't no good, right? But the house was packed because you just never knew. And then the one thing I think he appreciated more than perhaps a lot of stars do today is, like, that preseason game I talked about, like, it was important for him to play in that. Why? Because those people can't maybe afford to go to a regular Laker game. Maybe they can afford to go to the preseason game. He realized that might be the only opportunity the kid, an adult, a fan, was able to see him. And he took a lot of pride in playing every single game because he knew how much it meant to everybody in the building. Spears, tomorrow they're supposed to play the Lakers and Clippers at Staples. They, they should have. Well, I was they just going to ask you, what do you think should happen there? Um... I'm, I'm going to say I spoke to somebody who I'm going to leave nameless and they had to pull over and because they started crying. Um, Someone on one of the rosters? Uh, let's just say a Lakers employee. I'll just say that. Okay. Um, what we got to realize is this is, yeah, he might have been retired for a couple years, but this is a worldwide icon. This is somebody that worked for the Lakers in 20 years. So as Dave McMenamin reported, you know, you, you have people um, that are at their offices today for grief counseling. Like, you got want these guys to play tomorrow? <laughs> like, is, is that what, are we about just ratings and, and acting like these are people with the zoo that we got to go watch? You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be some compassion from the NBA like, they're playing the Clippers. You could reschedule a game at Staples Center. They could play them another time. Let them grieve. Let them have their time. Let them heal as best as they can. Perhaps Thursday have a, you know, press conference to, to talk it all out and play Friday. I just, I know they didn't cancel the other NBA games, but a Lakers game is different. It, it's just, to me, it's too early. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple players said they're not going, you know. It's just, it's to me for that franchise, you you can't put them in the same sentence as everybody else. For that franchise, give them their space, give them time, let let them grieve. Tomorrow, for everybody of that franchise, not just the players, not just the coaches, for everybody in that franchise, it's just it's just too early to go back to work. Mark Spears uh, writes about the NBA for the undefeated at ESPN. Mark, I know this is a, a very difficult time for you on a personal level. Really do appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. It's an interesting question. Um, there, there's that. And I think, Andy, your question of legacy is is an interesting one. Let's, let's talk about those. And we'll let's talk about the in. game thing, too. Yeah, we'll talk about that, too. Um, and try to sneak in a couple more calls as well. 877-710-ESPN. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, George Sedano, 710 ESPN. Kobe's second free throw. Good. He has 60. The Lakers lead by three. Here we go. Utah needs a three to tie it. Hayward driving down the middle all the way to the rim. Lay it up. No good. 
Rebound grab. Kobe's got it. Length of the court pass to Clarkson. Clarkson at the rim. Slam dunk. Game in the refrigerator. And the Lakers are going to win on Kobe's last night. He's going to score 60. And I don't believe what I just saw. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, George Sedano, uh, 710 ESPN. That, of course, Kobe's final game. I want to play this one again. Too. We are we one. running that tonight, right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, uh, if you did, at 6 o'clock, if you did not know that, it it's going to be on here. Uh, we're running John Ireland and Michael Thompson's call of Kobe's last game. And if you can't get near a radio on ESPN television, they're running the ESPN telecast with Mike Tirico, Hubie Brown, and Lisa Salters. Yeah, so all I mean, at it's, 6. That's something just... The, the theater of that game, and it, you know, even if you saw it, you probably don't remember every aspect of it. It's, it's worth the time to, uh, to watch and listen to. I love this call, too. They'd love to get it into Nash's hands, and they do. Oh, they do. Well, knocked away, stolen by Parker. Oh, here, it is. here comes George to Kobe Bryant. Bryant inside. It's good. It's good. My brain. The game. So amazing. Seven-tenths of a second remaining. Walton can tip it. Bryant with the save. Oh, you got to get a shot here. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. Bang! And that, of course, leads to that iconic photo of Kobe pulling the jersey. That's the 2006 yeah. uh, playoffs against Phoenix Suns. Yeah. He pulls the jersey yeah. aside to show his heart. I mean, yeah. 20 years worth of that. It's. I mean, I get chills just listening to that. Um, and then, you, you know, look... John is great, and Billy Mack is great, but Mike Breen is the voice of a generation of the NBA, and there's a reason for that, because that call right there is impeccable. Um, so Mark Spears, Andy, was, when we, we just talked to me, he raised the question of, like, do you play on Tuesday? Uh, your Lakers, Clippers, still, as far as I know, you know, scheduled to, to go. But Mark made some very compelling arguments as to why you might want to push that game back. What do you think? I mean, to be honest, I don't know. Because I'm not the I'm not the players who have to go through it. I mean, I I can envision and I can empathize what it would be like to be in their place, and I could make the argument that it might be easier for them to just get it over with and not have to deal with any sort of impending game that's going to be coming. And deal with this impending moment that you know at some point you're going to have to be in front of. I could also just as easily see the argument of. This is not the time and forcing these guys to take on that mental space to do this isn't fair for them. I I don't know the answer. And I think that Mark brought up an interesting point about just the practicality of it, right? Both these teams play in that building. You could find another open date from here to April 15th or whatever it is to get that game in. You could. I'm, I'm right. sure you could. It's not going to be easy. There's a lot that goes on at Staples Center. No, I, but you could figure you can, it out. There's I mean, some dark nights here and there. Yeah. It, it shouldn't matter, but it's also an important game. Oh, it is. Like if, if, if the Lakers were great and the Clippers were terrible or vice versa, it might be a little bit different. But this is a consequential game. Right. So you want both teams in the right frame of mind. Right. So, I mean, I... And it, it's... I, I, Andy and I, you know, like you, George, you know, you're... Everybody calls. You know, if you if you if they if anybody who knows that you've been in, around the Lakers at any point in the last fifteen years, you're getting a phone call over the last couple of days. And one of the things that people have asked me, and I've really tried to avoid the question, is just what does this do for the Lakers this season? And there is no answer to that question. But it yet at least, but it, it kind of gets to what you're talking about, George. Like it, what do you do in these? When do you start? Like how? What is the right way to handle? 
you know, the impacts for games that are so consequential for a season now, which at least very much in this moment feels kind of meaningless in, in that way. Yeah, it, it, I get it. Um, but at some point, right, like you, you have to start the healing process. And maybe Mark's right. Maybe you cancel tomorrow, Mark Spears, who was on with us, and you give the Lakers some time. You find a place in the schedule to reschedule that particular game between those two teams who share a building, and you let them play on Friday against the Blazers, right? Like maybe that's enough space for people personally. Maybe not. I don't know. You know I, I was going to say, I, I, the think, I think where the answer at least potentially lies is find out from the players. Just ask them what they want to do. And I don't know the practical ramifications of trying to uh, make everything that they want happen, but I know that that's where it starts. I will say this. Um, look, I don't ever claim to be someone that knows LeBron like you know deeply like that, but I've been around him enough. And I have a feeling that... He understands, like, first of all, the grieving process is going to be difficult for him, no question. But I also think he understands his place not only in history now, more than anything else, he understands now his place in this city at this particular moment. Kobe literally passed the torch to him with that tweet. And I think he has this monumental task of trying to heal a city. I will just say this. Outside of Kobe Bryant, there's probably not another person on this planet that plays basketball, that I would want that at his feet than LeBron James. I had, I'll be honest with you, I had not thought about what this means in terms of LeBron's role with the franchise. It, it does change it significantly. Well, it's interesting, too, just because last year, LeBron was so visibly detached from the organization. He was so visibly keeping everything at arm's length because he wasn't satisfied with the team. He, he seemed to have, I think, a very disconnected relationship mm-hmm. with the fans, but then this year we've seen way different, so much more invested, so much more, I think, really into the idea of being a Laker. And you have to imagine that this with, with Kobe's death just ratcheted it up that much more. Just the responsibility yes. that you feel being a part of this franchise now really being that face. I, w- I wonder, too, guys, do you think it matters? I mean, uh, the players are, are foremost. The organization is foremost. The family is foremost in in this equation. I wonder where the city, like the city at some point needs this moment, I think, to, mm-hmm. to, to have this honor and the moment. So everybody knows what's coming, whatever, whatever it's going to be. Um, it's just, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a, it's another testament to how deeply ingrained Kobe was in LA. Oh, listen. I, I've only been here four years, and you can see that right away. Like, literally, I have had people over the years, like, Mamba mentality. Like, they, it is an ethos, you know, amongst people here because he's allowed you to believe, and rightfully so, that if you apply yourself and you have that kind of work ethic, regardless of what you do, if you're a salesperson, if you're a teacher, that if you have the right work ethic, you can be the best at what it is you do as far as your craft is concerned. And it has, it's impacted the entire city in that way. We'll take a few more calls, 877-710-ESPN. Uh, when we come back, also we have Sam Amick coming up at 2.30. Zach Lowe from ESPN uh, also a little bit uh, later, 710 ESPN.